Hello, and welcome to the Motivate Change podcast, inspiring heart disease survivors to live a longer, healthier life. I'm your host, Devin Brzezinski, a fellow heart disease survivor and occupational therapy student here to help you navigate a world of uncertainty after a cardiac event. Today's episode features our first ever Survivor Series featuring me, your host. (laughs) Let's jump right in. In the very first episode, How Passion Leads to Change, I alluded to the fact that I myself have had heart surgery. And so this first Survivor Series segment, (laughs) say that five times fast, is featuring my story because I also want to share with you why I can relate to what you're going through. Um, Yet at the same time, I think that we bring a lot of value to each other by sharing our stories to not only create a community when something as big as heart disease and what you have gone through can really impact every area of your life. Um, But I wanted to give you an insider's view into my world and how I live with heart disease every single day you know that I myself am living with heart disease and I had heart surgery when I was just four months old, but I almost want to derail for a second and not share my story immediately because there's someone else in my life that I think deserves a lot of recognition and credit, um, or people I should say because I had an older sister and a younger sister, and they both passed away due to congenital heart defects. And I've been doing a lot of reflection this week in particular because it is Congenital Heart Defect Awareness Week, and I really want to honor them by sharing their story. My sister Jessica was born on Christmas Day, 1988, and she was a little jaundiced when she was first born, but nothing was too concerning to the doctors at that point in time. But I remember my parents telling me that, you know, they they went back to the doctor for a checkup and as you do, I guess when you when you first have a child and getting all these um, tests done, and they they realized that she had several issues that was going on um, with her heart and I think her liver and lungs, a few other things, and so they had to rush her um, to Children's Hospital in Philly, um, and we live in New Jersey. Uh, so the, my dad, I remember my dad telling me the paramedics said, you know, you might want to say your goodbyes now in case she doesn't make it on the ride over. I can't even imagine what was going through my parents heads at that point in time. Like, how can you even fathom? You just had this beautiful baby and now she may die. 
that is such a scary feeling and you can feel so alone in that moment. And thank goodness that my parents had each other to lean on, right? But it was still a really a challenging time. It was a lot of unknowns that were up in the air. But what ended up happening was they discovered Jessica had what's called a coarctation of the aorta or a narrowing of the aorta, as well as a PDA or patent ductus arteriosus. Now, for those that don't know, the blood flow through the heart when you are in utero, the body is trying to be as efficient as possible to supply nutrients and blood and oxygen to the baby as efficiently as possible, right? So there's a connection between the heart and the lungs when you're in the womb. But then once you're born, that connection is supposed to disappear. And for whatever reason, I don't think it's well known as to why it does not close. There's a lot more research that really needs to be done within the congenital heart defect space. But that's what Jessica had. So they had to go in and repair those two issues. And after she had the surgery, there were just a lot of complications. And I don't remember all of the details, but she was put on a ventilator. And every day my parents went to go visit Jessica in the hospital, driving from New Jersey to Pennsylvania, back and forth. I even think it was multiple times a day, like in the morning and then in the evening. In the 80s, it was a different time. So visitor regulations weren't as strict as they are today, especially in our post-COVID world. And so they were just always there for her. And I remember my parents telling me that the hall that Jessica was in was known or referred to as the Hall of Tears. They saw insane diagnoses of these babies that were so innocent to the world. They saw crack babies, meth babies, conjoined twins, you know, things that you would never think that you would ever see in your life, they saw, and they were heartbroken because they would see these other babies get discharged, and then they would look at their own daughter who was struggling to breathe. And I think my parents struggled with understanding why this was happening to them and why this was happening to Jessica. Now, the next part of the story is a little controversial, and I don't know if I should fully tell it. Because if you ask my mom, she'll tell you one story. And if you ask my dad, he'll tell you another. And I think that this really highlights the issue of trauma and how not only we perceive trauma, but how we remember it and how our emotions can be very different person to person. Um, So... I'm not going to get into the next part of Jessica's story just because I don't want to say something that is incorrect. And I obviously was not alive for this, uh, this story. So maybe I'll have my parents on the podcast and they can both share their side of the story. But in the end, 
Jessica was brain dead. And so there was nothing left to do at that point. So my parents pulled the plug and they tried to put the pieces back together. And as if grieving the loss of their firstborn child wasn't hard enough, one of the doctors gave them some unsolicited marital advice and told them, hey, look, you've been through something traumatic, so this only ends one of two ways. Either you stay together and you become stronger and this power couple because of it, or it ends up in divorce. It was like, in my experience, I've only seen it go one of two ways. So that added a layer of complexity to my parents' relationship. And I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but they are still together today. So they fought for their relationship. So obviously my parents have a lot on their plate right now. But then my mom gets a call from her dad, my grandfather. And he had just been diagnosed with lung cancer and it's not looking good. So on top of everything that's going on now, my mom's father is ill and my parents really just want to start their life. They want to have a family. And I guess they waited a couple of years and I think they were trying to have me um, for a little while. And they actually started going to a fertility specialist because they were having trouble conceiving. And then lo and behold, they got pregnant with me. So when my parents became pregnant with me, they wanted to make sure that I was developing properly because they already knew that you know, their first daughter had these congenital heart defects. There's a likelihood that I might as well. And it wasn't until I think six or seven months into pregnancy, but they realized that yes, I would also have congenital heart defects, but doctors really threw my parents for a loop because the issues that I have, the ASD, VSD, and mitral valve defect, they could potentially resolve on their own without surgery. So my parents were like, well, what's the best decision here? Because we already had a daughter that passed away due to complications from surgery. And that's terrifying to be in that um, environment again, and maybe even PTSD like symptoms to go back. Right. But the other option is if they just let it go and administer medications to me every day, what could be my quality of life? And my condition, the ASD VSD, you have a 50% chance of having Down syndrome or other developmental delays. So my parents were in a little bit of a pickle. <laughs> and after a while, they thought about it and they determined that going through heart surgery would be my best chance. My best chance at having a normal, quote unquote, normal, healthy life. So what they did was they went back to the surgeon that 
did my sister's heart surgery and the text that they really liked and they essentially put together my whole treatment team like the a team of uh of heart surgeons <laughs> and it was kind of funny looking back on it uh because the doctor that did my surgery he said to my parents this is a really easy case for me and like so-and-so could do it and you'll be fine and my parents said no absolutely not we want the best of the best and that's you we trust you you were there for us when we lost our last daughter and we don't want to lose this one so obviously my parents made a very compelling argument to my cardiologist and he went through with the surgery and I'm very, very grateful for the entire team over at CHOP and for my parents' advocacy for me because I don't know what the outcome would have been if they hadn't. But it was funny because right after my surgery, I think it was like a day or two, they, the doctor said, okay, you're discharged. You can take her home. And my parents looked at each other and they were like, what? Like, is this normal? Is this real? Because with Jessica, she was in the hospital for four months and there was no way. They didn't know what to do with a, a newborn, let alone a newborn who had open heart surgery and had sutures and we had a dog at home. And I remember looking at this picture of me with a bunch of pillows <laughs> around me and the dog, Barney, he was a golden retriever. And of course he was named Barney um, before the show took off. And so I loved the name growing up, <laughs> but yeah, you could just see him behind these pillows, like looking over at me, wanting to just be near me. And he was just blockaded off. So it was a big transitional moment for my parents to actually bring me home for the first time. But therein lies the question of, well, what does life look like now? So my parents had to take me for checkups and get echoes every single week. And I, I think blood work too. And so the, imagine you're working all day long and then you come home and you have to drive an hour to Philly and go to these expensive appointments and then drive an hour home and then make dinner and take care of a crying infant and do all of the quote unquote normal things, right? And so that just added another layer of complexity onto my childhood According to my parents, I didn't cry a whole lot. So that was good, I guess. Uh, and I was a pretty easy baby, but the medical complications and just what, what goes into it, you know, that, that was, that was brand new to my parents. They had no medical background whatsoever. My dad was working in the IT industry and my mom was a beautician. So the healthcare world was extremely foreign to them. Actually, my mom was so inspired by all of the doctors and nurses that were taking care of me and Jessica that she changed her careers and she went back to school, 
became a nurse and she's been doing that for the last 20 some years. And so I think if anything, the silver lining of this story is not only the fact that yes, I survived, right? But it's also that she really found her career and her purpose in life. So once I was healthy, my parents still wanted to have a bigger family. And so they got pregnant again. And then around, I think, month six or seven, my mom had a miscarriage. And they found out it was another baby girl. And she also had congenital heart defects. As I mentioned, we have no family history of heart disease in our family. So this was devastating to my parents. And I don't believe they ever got any type of DNA test or anything to figure out if there was some kind of gene that is in our family. But it was really hard on my parents to lose a second child. So they opted to not try again. And I don't blame them because it would be extremely difficult. But I do remember always asking for a little sister or a little brother when I was growing up. So I can imagine that would have been extremely difficult to hear from your daughter. And growing up, I know I was told the story of my two sisters, but I don't know if maybe I was too young, but I don't really remember a whole lot about them. And especially my younger sister, I don't even think my parents gave her a name. I don't know. So it's always been a question of mine. I think growing up of, you know, why did I survive? I've always felt like there was a reason for me to survive and I've gone through a lot of self-reflection in order to figure out what that is. And I can confidently say that I think I found it now, but it's been quite a roller coaster (laughs) and a big adventure. And if you're interested in learning that story, I will make a different podcast about my career trajectory. And if you're interested in occupational therapy and how I found myself in back in this world, but I wanted to speak a little bit to my volunteer experience with the American Heart Association, because I had a lot of doubts and a lot of insecurities that I didn't realize I had. So when I was living in Philly, I volunteered with the American Heart Association and a part of the AHA called Go Red for Women. And there's a woman, Stephanie Austin. She is amazing. And she asked me to be part of a special series where she was filming a survivor series, essentially. And I jumped on the opportunity because absolutely. Why would I not want to share my story and help other people? But then when I actually sat down to do the recording live with these other survivors, I felt so inspired by them, but also I felt very intimidated if I'm being completely honest, because 
here these women are and they are so strong and they all remember what happened to them and they have such powerful messages and I couldn't help but to compare myself in that moment and question whether or not my story was good enough, whether I was enough. You know, as a congenital heart defect survivor, my story is very different than others. And I wasn't sure if people would be able to relate to me as much as they could with other people. Because as you probably know, I don't remember my surgery at all. So when I first started volunteering, that was definitely a insecurity of mine. And then as I, as the years progressed, I realized that that thought that I had, that belief that I had about myself is wrong because there are so many other people that could benefit from hearing my story. Um, and so I want you to really self-reflect and, and make sure that you're honoring yourself and valuing that the fact of what you went through and we are all going to have different stories, but that's what makes us unique. And we are all connected by this common thread of having heart disease. And that is why I am so passionate about this space and helping other heart disease survivors with what you're going through, either physically, mentally, with your diet and exercise, because I have quite literally been in your shoes. I've made it my life mission and my values in life to live a very proactive and healthy lifestyle as much as I can. And obviously it evolves over the years too. What I thought was healthy 10 years ago isn't necessarily what I would consider healthy today. So I feel like I have the tools to really help you navigate this experience. And now I can confidently say that I have found my passion and my purpose in life. And that is to help other heart disease survivors live a more meaningful life. And I can do that through an occupational therapy lens. So thank you for your time today. Thank you for listening to my story. I really hope that it sheds some light on my passion for this space. I ask that if you enjoyed what you listened to today, please share it with somebody that you love, someone that you care about, because one in three women will experience heart disease in her lifetime. So just sending it to two other people is extremely helpful. Um, please like review, share all of the things. So that way I can help as many heart disease survivors as possible. Thank you.